Every play, every musical, begins with some writer putting words on a page. Hello, and welcome to Stagecraft, the Broadway radio podcast that talks to playwrights and musical book writers about the shows they've created. My name is Jan Simpson, and joining us this week is Hamad Chowdhury, whose thought-provoking new play, An Ordinary Muslim, opened this week at New York Theatre Workshop just four years after he completed his MFA in playwriting at Columbia University. Hello, Hamad Chowdhury. Thank you for talking with us on StageCraft. Thank you. Thank you for having me. There are so many questions I want to ask you um, about your fascinating play, but we usually start these conversations with a brief description of what the play is about. So could you tell listeners what an ordinary Muslim is about? Sure. Um, I'm never too good at this because <laughs> this, play in partic- <laughs> this play in particular has quite a few threads. Mm-hmm. However, it, you know, it's about Azim Pati and his wife Saima Khan navigating their marriage and their individual lives, both in a way that's consistent with the previous generation and in a way that uh, also consistent with their new realities as British-born Pakistani Muslims. And that takes in the wider family, but also takes in the wider Muslim community and uh, the dominant culture as well. What gave you the idea for this play? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, you know, this, I didn't have an epiphany of sorts. I think there was something within me that I was always exploring, especially thematically, because I am myself you know, a British Muslim Pakistani. Uh, so I think these themes were always there in my work and these characters were all were in my head and eventually came to a place where they wouldn't stop chattering and they came to, and they came to life uh, and and over the course of a good few years they developed i know that writers hate this question but are there biographical elements in the piece well i'd say thematically the fact that this idea, this notion of having multiple identities you know, British, Muslim, Pakistani, and Punjabi, so forth. That's obviously very close to myself and how that comes together, how it's, there's a synthesis of those identities, but also how there's sometimes tension. So in that sense, it can feel very personal. But in terms of the story, in terms of the plot, it's not, a, it's not autobiographical. It's more, of, it's more an amalgamation of stories that I've grown up with about people who I know and also my own imagination. You set the play in 2011, and I was just wondering yes. why you chose that date. It's a decade after the incidents of September 11th, which do have continuing sure. reverberations in the play, but it's not contemporary today. So why 2011? So I think as I was writing this play, I never actually had a specific time lock. Mm-hmm. as I was writing this play. But then, it, you know, this play actually went on to become like a four-and-a-half-hour draft at one point. It was very long. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, and so such was the process. But during that process, the characters would talk about certain cultural references uh, or certain time references. And as I reread the play, I mean, for me, when I reread my own work, mm-hmm. a lot of it's about connecting dots. You know, what is my unconscious trying to communicate to me? And what I picked up was that this play, in fact, is set uh, in 2011. All these cultural references happened in 2011, 10 years after the event of 9-11. 
And when I started to investigate that further, what it is about that year, I realized that essentially what we're talking about in 2011 is, yes, like you mentioned, a decade after 9-11. Um, so what we're, what's happening around that time is, in 2011, we had bin Laden's death. Uh, we have the Arab Spring. So automatically with that, what you're having is this chapter that's seeming to close about this association of Muslims and a very negative portrayal of Muslims. And then with the Arab Spring, you're having a much more positive portrayal of Muslims. You're having slogans such as Allahu Akbar and so forth being seen in a positive light. And I think from one perspective, I think there was this hope that this this chapter, you know, whatever this 10 years was since 9-11 for Muslims with the war on terror and so forth, this was coming to an end and a new chapter was beginning. Unfortunately, you know, that's not been the case. What we hoped would be the end was really just the end of the beginning. Then, you know, now we've we have, you know, much other ugly groups and other negative associations and so forth. But there was this real hope and, you know, and I think for that decade, Muslims really, at least from my perspective, Muslims are stuck in a place where we were on the back foot, where it was a case of just because I wear the hijab, it doesn't mean I'm oppressed. Just because I have a beard, it doesn't mean I'm a terrorist and so forth. You know, but the implication is, you know, having to be in the back foot like that and constantly explain ourselves, having to tell people what we're not. That was the kind of defining characteristic of those 10 years after 9-11 for the ordinary Muslim. The hope was now we would get to frame our own narrative, define our own agenda without a dominant culture as an interlocutor. Um, so that was the kind of hope in 2011. This, and that's partly, I think, why the play is placed there, because these characters are stuck in a liminal space. That famous quote, the past is not yet dead, the future is not yet alive. Um, and I think, and also, we also had Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and at least in that sense, after George Bush, you had Obama um, go to the Middle East and really make the—I think it was Egypt—and make this excellent speech that was an olive branch to the Muslim world. So there's a lot to be hopeful for, mm-hmm. uh, and there was this liminal, there was this liminal transitional space uh, that the world was in globally in terms of Muslim identity, and I think that and these characters in that liminal space as well, and that's why it was in 2011. There's also a. Per- particular cleverness, I think, in the title, uh, An Ordinary Muslim, because Azim, your your main character, he yeah. is an ordinary guy. I mean, he right. works in a bank, he's married, he has uh, issues with his parents, but also there is no one way to be a Muslim, and the, and the play also deals with that. Absolutely, right. There are multiple, exactly. I think there's no such thing as an ordinary Muslim. There's no one way to be a Muslim. And there's the argument that, the, you know, exactly that there are many ways to be a Muslim is uh, important. Also, for someone like Azim, he, you know, I think there's a line in the play where he says, too Muslim for some, not Muslim enough for others. And I think that's another struggle that he has. But really trying to come to the diversity of the experience of being Muslim. The idea that, you know, out of these eight characters, we have seven that are Muslim and they identify as Islam, but all embody a a different kind of Islam to one extent or another. And that's really, you know, a drop in the ocean as far as the diversity of the Muslim experience is concerned. How Muslims interpret Islam, embody Islam, express Islam is so incredibly 
diverse and uh, heterogeneous that um, I think once you begin to appreciate that diversity, you can come to the conversation about Muslims or Muslims in the West and so forth with a much, much more complexity and nuance. You you said earlier that you had a four-hour version, and I know you've worked on this uh, play over a number of years, so I wonder if you could talk about some of the changes that happened as you were developing the play. Were there any significant elements that came out or that went in? Well, I think the, with the play... Um, in the four and a half hours one, it was, <laughs> I think it was perhaps was as focused on plot mm-hmm. as, sh- as it should have been and so forth. And it was still very much in the process of discovery. However, um, I think there was nothing actually significant that came out. All the characters are still there. The main themes are still there and the central events are still there. Yeah, and I think what had been brought in was more focus and and as I focused on things that I wanted to focus on, uh, the play started to squeeze up itself the things it didn't want or it didn't need. One of the plot devices, and I hope you won't mind my using that word, is uh, Saima's decision to wear uh, the hajib, the headscarf that some women, uh, Muslim women, wear. Why did you make that such a sort of central plot point? Well, you know, I think with the hijab and also just any symbol now of becoming a visible Muslim or a practicing Muslim, it's not so much as to, you know, everybody wants to know why you wore it or why you did this or why you did that. But if you're if, if you're if you're the one who made that action in the first place, the thing that you're really dealing with is this obsession with everybody wants why you wore it, why you did this why you did that so the real question is not why did you wear it it's like why do you need to know why I wore it why do I have to explain myself to you and I think the reason that you use as a plot device is just that to see not as much as to oh look Simon's worn the scarf as much as look how what the reaction is to her wearing the scarf even from her own husband and ultimately it is you know no di- I mean and it is no different uh, to say a, a Muslim man becoming more becoming more visibly uh, Muslim. Having said that, there is a thing with the scarf and e- and to do with the uh, long history of Orientalism that um, this is something always brought on as a issue, you know, that predates 9-11, that it goes back to the, you know, to the history of colonization and so forth, that this is an issue. <laughs> hmm. um, and, you know, so p- people who are, you know, substantially more educated, intelligent than me, such as Layla Ahmed at Harvard have written about the subject of the veil at length and the history of the veil and how it can be instrumentalized and used in order to, you know, talk about Muslims but also marginalize Muslims. I have to say, I was fascinated by uh, the character of the father, Akil. And maybe right. that's because he's so well played by by the uh, actor uh, Ranjit Chowdhury. But could you talk a little bit more about this complex character, who he is, and and the role you wanted him to play in the dynamics of the family? Yeah, I, who Akil is. Uh, Akil is fascinating. I think Akil is somebody I'm constantly exploring and discovering. Um, I think he's um, because this is you know the idea that somebody who's born you know in you know under the British Empire. 
and then immigrates to a newly found land, which is very new and almost, you know, the boundaries are somewhat fictitious, um, and then comes to the home of the country that once colonized its home country, its own home country. Um, and that sense of dislocation, alienation, displacement, and then what that does to one's own sense of self and identity. I think that's always something I'm exploring, and certainly the character came out the way he came out. I can't say I had any overarching intention, because the characters, like the play, are often a discovery for myself. Uh, and Akil, you know, is another discovery that I, I'm sure I'll keep working on. You talk about his journey from having been born in India and then having to move to Pakistan once um, there was uh, that division and then moving to 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 England. That's the journey, yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. From born in India and then after, uh, after the fall of the British Empire with partition, moving to the newly found Pakistan and forcibly moved. Uh, and then from there on, coming for a better life to England, yes. There was a balance in this play between um, explaining, putting things in context, and then just letting things be, not feeling the need to explain every single bit. And and I'm thinking the fact that um, Azim and Saima live with uh, his parents is never explained. Right. Uh, the fact that uh, Saima calls her mother-in-law auntie. Was there a back and forth for you about how much should I explain to people who don't know uh, this particular community and its customs, and how much should I just go with it? Sure, I'll be honest with you, I'm fairly belligerent. I don't want to, you know, if it were up to me, I'd probably explain very little. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's a lot of people around me who are like, hey, hold on, Hama, this is New York East Village. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? So I, I fight quite hard. And, you know, I, I, and I often get married, but then I do listen. I do listen to people, especially people who are, you know, I have so many South Asian actors. We have such a, so my, my, often my thing is, if the plot is accessible, right, mm-hmm. to a wider audience, if the narrative, if the central events are accessible to a wider audience, then that's fine. Beyond that, the specificities of these kinds of things, I personally don't feel I have to explain them. Mm-hmm. I also feel when I write, because first and foremost, I write for myself, right? I'm the first audience member. So I, you know, if somebody who is South Asian and is an audience member, they'll get it straight away, right? So that's more pressure on that theatre, whatever theatre is, to get a more diverse audience as well. Um, honestly, for me, it's if I, as long as I don't completely alienate people from the plot and the narrative, um, I, I, I personally feel like there's the other specific things and that are specific to the culture of this play and the family, I'm, I don't feel like under any real pressure or expectation to explain them. And to be honest, now that I got my first production, I'm probably going to explain it less. <laughs> for you. (laughs) I don't want to give anything away um, about the ending of the play. I 
think people should enjoy that experience themselves. But a friend who saw the play with me said uh, he was expecting a particular kind of radicalization of one of the characters. And he and I got into a bit of a debate because I said, no, I don't think the playwright would have done that. Um, And then I thought, well, I'll ask the playwright. Was that something sure. that you played with uh, as you were developing the play? I mean, no, not at all. I mean, I, that for me, I've had a couple of those responses, but those I think they're fascinating because this is what this is the role of art, and that you, it ends up helping you reveal your own opinions as well. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I I honestly think that reveals more about what someone is thinking or is informed by than the play itself um, and I always remember you know I love Spike Lee I love Do the Right Thing and he always talks about the ending of that movie between one white character and one African American character and that revealing more about the audience's subjectivity than anything else uh, so I don't play put the play at that level that the movie is but I do think I, I that's not my intention you know he's not he's and also He's not going off wherever to some join some group in the Middle East. He's probably going to Cuba or something like that. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Um, um, but also, yeah. And I think also the idea of being radical is it's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. It's, we shouldn't think of radical. You know, Malcolm X was thought of as radical. For Margaret Thatcher, our British Prime Minister, she thought Nelson Mandela was a radical, right? Mm-hmm. So this idea of being politically radical, politically active is different to an extremist kind of radicalism that we often talk about. I have just a a, a couple more questions. You've been very generous with your time, but I know that you you worked very closely with Tony Kushner, that he was somewhat of a a mentor to you um, on this play, and I wondered if you could talk about how he was helpful to you in the shaping uh, and the developing of this play. Sure. I mean, with Tony, initially, you know, I, I was introduced to Tony through Chuck Me and my final year at Columbia. And then, and that was about almost four years ago. Uh, and that that's when Tony kind of, you know, met me, read my work and gave me feedback. And then I would go do, do the work. And then after I graduated over the years, Tony was always there in support and guiding, uh, and, and guiding me. Um, I would be able to call him for advice and so forth. But ultimately, it would be a case of me writing the work and, you know, taking writing the story I wanted to write and how I wanted to write it. Mm-hmm. And then he would just support, help support bring my voice. Also, he would just really push me and, you know, uh, give me confidence in my own voice, let, help me believe in myself and get me writing. We all need that. Is there, among the seven uh, uh, characters in the play, is there one that you identify with more than the others? Um, I, I'm i not sure about identify, but I always do like Saima. Uh, I've always liked, she's probably my favorite character. In the Why? Um, I don't know. Maybe she reminds, you know, she reminds me of, of a lot of women in my own family. Uh, perhaps, uh, I mean, she, you know, I've been very lucky to grow up with strong women in my family. And uh, yeah, so perhaps maybe that's why, but she, she's somebody who's been my favorite character. I think one of the things that the play also does is uh, reveal the the strength and uh, variety of Muslim women 
even within this small family. Right. These, these are exactly. these are uh, women who have different responses. Um, are very independent-minded uh, and 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 strong women, and it's good to see those characters represented on on a stage. Good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we're glad that you. Uh, uh, wrote this play and and uh, and very uh, happy and grateful that you spent this time talking to us about it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway Radio podcasts, which you can find on broadwayradio.com. <laughs>